I want to answer this question that came in from True Beetle People, and this was um, a question that came in response to our Where Did the Dead in Christ Rise From? And uh, this is a really good question. I'm fairly certain a lot of people wonder about this. Um, Hey, my mom and dad, both Christians, died 25 years ago, and I often wonder if they are, like the story of Lazarus and the beggar, uh, up in heaven looking down uh, on me uh, and either worrying or proud. Sounds like a nutty question, but I sometimes wonder about this. In some ways, I know, I hope not, since if they keep an eye on me still to this day, then I am in for another licking, being I am, uh, like Paul, not always the best boy I can be. (laughs) Uh, P.S. I do miss them greatly every day and ask God to look after them. Uh, Truly a heartfelt, sincere question that I'm fairly certain, again, a lot of us uh, have wrestled with at one point or another. And so, uh, I don't want to just give this a clinical answer, but I, I do want to speak to it uh, and make sure that we we let the scriptures guide our understanding. And of course, to do so with the understanding that this is a very, uh, a very heartfelt kind of a question. Again, most of us have lost somebody very close to us and have probably wondered, and, and most people say at one point or another, well, they're looking down on me from, you know, or some friend will comfort you and say, oh, they're they're here and they're looking down on you from heaven and that kind of thing. Is that in fact the case? Is that true or not? Or is it, uh, is it, is it really just kind of something that we find comfort in and really maybe don't objectively want to know what's true about this kind of thing? Um, I can speak to a couple of things very specifically and, and, and tell you that, um, you know, certainly uh, your desire is for God to be taking care of your mom and dad in heaven. First off, praise the Lord they're with him. Uh, Psalm sixteen eleven tells us that in his presence is fullness of joy, right? They are experiencing and seeing, hearing things that are just beyond words. Uh, that would be a crime to try and describe, as Paul would say. Um, uh, you know, so they are well taken care of. If Believe me, people who pass on and go be with the Lord are the least of all to be pitied. It's you and I who are left behind that, uh, that, that probably deserve some pity. Um, but your mom and dad for the last quarter century, and they're outside of time entirely at this point, as far as we would probably judge time, uh, they're in eternity and enjoying the presence of the Lord to the fullest. Um, so that's, that's something you don't have to worry about at all. Uh, secondly, because they're in that condition, they're not worrying about you. I mean, it's not like their love for you would ever have ceased, but there's no worrying for you because they're in the presence of the one with whom there's no place for worry. Uh, they're in the presence of the one who's sovereign over the universe and uh, and has you in his grip and will complete the work that he's begun in you until the day of Christ. And so what reason for them to worry, right? Are they proud of you? Now we start to get into, I can, I can again, I can say they, they don't worry about you at all because of the presence of God. The idea of, can are they proud of you? And can they, in fact, see your life now? That's really where the question lies. And this is where... Um, uh, maybe it's a little less clear to say for sure to what extent, if any, those who are in eternity in the presence of God can see or even are aware at all of what goes on here in time and space anymore, uh, or whether they are just consumed and captivated by the presence of God, which I would assume they are, uh, overwhelmed in the presence of of God. But let's talk a little bit about the idea of can they, and therefore do they, uh, see us? Uh, even beyond that then, can they interact with us? Um, I do want to be a little sensitive in how I speak to this, because again, I know it's a sensitive thing for a lot of people, and a lot of people take comfort in the possibility that someone they love very much that's gone to be with the Lord is still somehow uh, 
watching over them in that. Um, let me speak to this both from a scriptural standpoint uh, and also from a rooted in scripture standpoint. Uh, first of all, and I'm going to get this kind of out of the way here because it's important, um, but I, 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 but it's probably obvious too. But I just want to make sure I mention it and and sort of speak to this. Uh, in places like Deuteronomy, Leviticus, um, um, we see very strong prohibitions about consulting the dead. Right, the idea of uh, of trying to communicate with those who have died. Um, there is no ambiguity about that. There is an absolute forbidding of such things. Um, um, and, and part of the reason there, there's at least two reasons for this that I would say, number one is because on this side of eternity here in time and space, we don't have the ability to see into the spiritual realm. And so to say that, to believe that we're communicating with someone or hearing from someone or interacting on any level with somebody who has passed away, um, we could never know with absolute certainty whether or not we actually are, which means there's plenty of room for principalities and powers, as they're referred to, that's speaking of demonic entities, um, manipulating our feelings, our emotions, our understanding of things, uh, redirecting our faith from where it should be with the Lord, and instead putting it into um, you know, an emotion or a feeling or something somebody said that's that this loved one would have said, and we feel like, oh, that's from them, uh, that all of a sudden becomes wildly subjective, very spirity, kind of, but not anything that we could ever say with any real degree of certainty, except that we want so badly to believe it and feel like it is. But we could never objectively say that this is, in fact, something um, that, we, that we're communicating or hearing from uh, someone who has passed away. And so it gives a lot of room for the enemy to subvert us and that kind of thing. We want to be extremely careful about that kind of thing. We want to avoid that like the plague, really. The other thing that I would say is a problem with, with, with that is that God doesn't want us seeking comfort, help, counsel from those who have passed away. He wants us to seek him for those things. And so that would make that would create a tremendous distraction from the direct access that we have. Uh, he invites us to come boldly before the throne of grace to obtain mercy in our time of need. Uh, Jesus ever lives to make intercession for us. He is our advocate before the Father, right? He is uh, the one mediator we have between God and man. And so, the, the, like, we have, we have no reason to go to anyone but him, and we have a direct call from him to go directly to him. Uh, and so would those in the presence of God seek to be a distraction from that? I would say no. No, because they would understand that he's the one who answers prayer. He's the one who is able to answer prayer. As a matter of fact, even the one example that we have in the Old Testament where um, where there does seem to be an interaction between someone who died in the Lord, somebody who was a believer in God, who died, was summoned from the dead. And this is in 1 Samuel uh, chapter, uh, was it 28 or 29, 28, where, um, where Saul in disguise, uh, who is wildly insecure, fearing for his position of power. He knows that God has rejected him and he's raising up another King David. He's very intimidated by David. He's tried to kill David at this point. He flees off to, uh, or he seeks out, I should say the counsel of a medium, a witch in a place called Endor. 
and he uh, asks her to summon Samuel, uh, who was the priest and prophet in Israel who has died. And Saul wants to talk to Samuel to get advice and counsel from him, even though in the scriptures, in the law of God, this is prohibited completely. But Saul's already living in wild disobedience. Um, he's been rejected again by God, so he's, he's pursuing spiritist kinds of things in order to get his answers and counsel. So he, he asks her to, to bring up uh, Samuel, and she doesn't know this is Saul. Uh, and so she calls up Samuel, and he seems to actually appear. Now, here's where I say seems to, because the jury's out as to whether or not this actually is Samuel or not. The text reads as though it is. And so I'm I'm okay with the possibility that God made an exception in this case to the general rule that he has put down for mankind. And it doesn't turn out well for Saul either. I mean, this Samuel, purportedly, if it is Samuel, he rebukes Saul. He says, why are you disturbing me? by calling me up. So he doesn't even, if it is Samuel, he's certainly not appreciating that Saul is doing this, um, implying that he's being disturbed by this, right? And so anyway, but he ends up rebuking Saul. He ends up reaffirming the fact that God has rejected him. This turns out not to be what Saul was hoping for. Now, if in fact that actually was Samuel, and scholars are divided on this. There's no, there's no, um, universal understanding of of whether or not this really was or not. I'm personally okay with either possibility. Uh, I, I, I wonder if it in fact was, and God used that as an opportunity to kind of reinforce why this is a terrible idea. It didn't go well for Saul. Um, but even though an exception may, and again, I emphasize may, have been made, that doesn't all of a sudden set a precedent for anyone else to do the same thing. The prohibition still stands. Uh, but God is able to make an exception to those things. Uh, and, and, and if he did in that case, again, it didn't go well for Saul. So it's ambiguous as to whether or not this even was, or whether this was potentially a demonic entity trying to further deceive Saul or that. We don't know. We don't know exactly. So we can't build a case on that and say, see, we can communicate with the dead. Um, that's not a precedent for that kind of thing. That, that if anything, kind of reinforces that we shouldn't be doing um, you know, this kind of thing. Um, another passage that is sometimes pointed out is the Transfiguration, where Jesus meets with Moses and Elijah. And Peter, James, and John are privy to that uh, experience, that encounter in Matthew 17, verses 1 through 8, where um, where Jesus is having a conversation. Uh, Peter tells us in Second Peter that the conversation had to do with his second coming and uh, and, and all that kind of thing. And, and, and it was legitimately Moses and Elijah. Now, we, the reason I would set that example aside as a justification for seeking the dead is because Jesus is God, and he's in contact with anybody in eternity that he chooses to be. He's God, right? So that's not an invitation for us to then seek Moses and Elijah or something. Uh, it's a particular situation that he uses to express his glory to his disciples. Uh, the voice of God himself uh, uh, the, uh, the, from the Father comes from heaven and says, "This is my beloved Son. Hear him." You know, it actually in kind of rebuke to Peter, but um, uh, it's Peter's desire to build booths for Moses and Elijah and Jesus, right? So, anyway, it's another whole thing. But that's not really an example to justify seeking the dead. Uh, one final example that is often pointed to um, is in Hebrews chapter twelve. Uh, in Hebrews eleven, we have the Hall of Faith. 
those who have died in faith, those who have died looking forward to the fulfilling of the promises and all that, those who's looking for a city whose builder and maker was God, looking beyond the temporal of life, but trudging on, uh, having not received the fulfillment of the promises, but nonetheless they were faithful, even suffering oftentimes very uh, cruel, horrifying deaths at the hands of those who were uh, opposed to God and that kind of thing. And then in chapter 12, uh, the author goes on to say, since we are therefore surrounded by such a cloud of witnesses, let us run the race with endurance, setting us off, setting aside uh, the weights that so easily beset and everything. So there is mention of this cloud of witnesses, and some will point to that and say, oh, well, see, these are those who are watching us and urging us on in our faith. Well, the passage does not require uh, an interpretation that those in heaven are watching us and cheering us on, it is just as justified to to understand the passage's meaning that these who have set an example for us in years past are, you know, that is the example of them passing the torch on to us who continue to run the race in faith. It's not that they're necessarily watching us. Uh, there's literally nothing in the passage that requires us to see that as witnesses in heaven looking down on us and like they're in the gallery just sort of, you know, cheering us on. Uh, I would also point to one other passage uh, in uh, Revelation chapter 6 when the fifth seal is broken. Uh, there are the saints who were beheaded for their faith um, who are calling out to God to just, you know, to, um, um, uh, to avenge them upon uh, those on the earth, the earth dwellers in that. But even that passage uh, doesn't necessarily imply that they see what's going on on earth. They just know that a certain thing hasn't happened yet. They're not avenged. Does that mean that they know everything that's going on on the earth? We don't know that for sure. I say all those things to say that there is a high degree of ambiguity as to how much those in heaven or in eternity can see or interact with anything having to do with what's going on in time and space. So we never want to build our understanding upon things that are unclear in Scripture. Again, because if we do, we start to open ourselves up to all kinds of strange ideas and and very subjective ideas at the very least. Subjective being that we sort of uh, feel like something's true, even though objectively we don't know that it is. So I would always, always, always counsel against building our understanding on subjective things uh, and certainly building doctrine or, you know, something that we're going to really, truly put our trust in, in something that isn't objectively uh, demonstrable. In other words, if the scriptures don't say it clearly, then I wouldn't really believe it fully. I'd be very cautious about that. Um, but on the other hand, I can't say that there's no, there's, that there's evidence that they can't, maybe from time to time, or as God would see fit, let them catch a glimpse. I mean, I often sort of uh, imagine us, you know, after the rapture, kind of watching events in the world unfold, you know, kind of from the balcony and that kind of thing. So maybe, you know, I don't know if that's really the way it'll be or not. Um, uh, again, I can't make the case that that's true. Uh, you know, at the very least, we'll be in the presence of the Lord. But will we see what's going on? Will we see the Antichrist rise to power? Will we see uh, the bold judgments and the trumpets and the seals being broken and stuff and all these things happening? Will we observe that or not? Um, I I think probably as a matter of, of watching God's purposes fully unfold, we probably would. But does that necessarily mean that those who've died now have the same kind of, you know, balcony seats and are watching what's going on in the world? I can't say with absolute certainty that they don't, but I wouldn't build my hopes and uh, or anything on the thought that they do because I don't know that they do. 
So I always want to be cautious not to just sort of build anything on stuff that's ambiguous scripturally. Uh, but again, uh, in terms of uh, true Beatle people, as far as, um, you know, uh, the things we can know, we can know that they're not worried about you because they're, again, in the presence of God. Why? How, who could ever worry in the presence of God? Um, you know, when, when Jesus walked out on the storm to meet the disciples in the boat, when he told them to go across the Sea of Galilee, uh, he said, you know, um, peace, it is I, you know, in other words, calm down, guys, it's me, I have nothing to worry about. Um, um, you know, be not afraid. And so um, they're not worried about you. Um, um, you know, I'm fairly certain that they were proud of you in life and, and you can rest in that knowledge and you know that God has taken care of them. They are as taken care of, uh, as, as the fullness of God can provide. And of course that means they are completely taken care of. So, um, I wouldn't worry about getting a licking when you go see them. Um, uh, one day you'll, you'll be reunited with them. The relationships, of course, as we see in scripture, will be very different in heaven. We won't be married or given in marriage. Uh, we'll all be brothers and sisters in Christ at that point. And, and, uh, the relationship will be that of family and, 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 you know, um, and that it's, it's different. It's the fullness of what it was designed to be. Um, but as far as their interaction with us now, I wouldn't, I wouldn't go to them for comfort. I would remember them with all the fondness that they deserve and be thankful that they're rejoicing in the presence of God. But as far as your needs and your own comfort and your own sense of, um, um, of being watched over, that really can come directly from the Lord. And that's what he would encourage. And I'm sure you're doing that anyway, but for any others who sort of are in this mindset of wondering what goes on at this point in, the, in this in this arena that we're talking about, let me encourage you in that way. It's God who ultimately watches over you and has personally seen to it to have his hand upon you. So um, so praise the Lord for that. And again, that's for all who believe in Christ. If, if you're outside of Christ, then uh, you have lots of reasons to be confused and even afraid and that kind of thing. And my encouragement to you would be to come and receive that which Christ has uh, has has uh, accomplished for you uh, and for us. He has, um, John in his first letter said that he is the propitiation for our sins. In other words, his death and resurrection has fully satisfied the righteous requirement of God uh, against sin and such. And so all that remains uh, is for you to come and receive the merits of Christ applied to you by faith. You come and you put your trust in Jesus alone uh, for your salvation, not yourself, not some other religion or anything like that, but you come and you put your trust in him because he alone is the one who has taken your sin away. He alone uh, uh, is, is the lover of your soul who has, who, has, uh, who has made a way for you to be made right with God. And so let me invite you to do that now as we close. Uh, Father, I thank you for the goodness and grace that you've shown us in opening the way uh, to the throne room of God, as it were, even beyond the veil, all because Christ has died for our sins and has washed us clean, has made us clean. And we thank you for this, Father. You have justified us. You've declared us righteous because of what Jesus has done. None of us is saved because of our merits or our activities, our good works or such. Father, it's all because of what you have done in Christ. Truly, you have uh, you love the world and demonstrated that by giving your only begotten Son, that whoever would believe in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. So, Father, I pray for those who might be watching or listening, who have never received Christ as their own Lord and Savior, and, and, and by faith accepted his finished work for the payment, the covering, the taking away of their sin. Uh, I pray that, uh, Father, they would recognize him as God in the flesh, that they would see him as the one who alone could take away our sins, and not only could, but at the cross did, where he died for our sins, was buried, 
and rose again the third day, even as Paul said, this is the gospel. So if that's you, and you've finally come to realize that it is only in Christ that you find salvation, then I invite you to pray and receive him even right now. So repeat after me if that's you. Heavenly Father, I confess to you that I am a sinner. I have broken your law more times than I can count, than I'm even aware of. Father, I'm a rebel by nature, but I thank you that Jesus came and died for my sin once and for all at the cross, past, present, and future, washed away by the shedding of his own blood, where he died and then was buried and then rose again the third day. I thank you that because he lives, so too I will live. And I thank you for him, and I put my trust in him and in the work that he finished when he took my sin away. I thank you for your love and your grace and your mercy. And I thank you that the Holy Spirit now lives within me. And by his strength and in surrendering daily to him, he will make me more like Jesus. I look forward to that as I leave my old life behind and follow Jesus. Thank you for your goodness and grace toward me, a lost sinner, saved by your grace. Thank you. I praise you and bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, if you prayed that prayer, again, there's nothing, I want to emphasize, there's nothing magical about that prayer. There's no magic formula to saying just the right combination of words. It really is just a matter of you coming before the Lord and acknowledging your need for Him, and that only He can meet your ultimate need, your separation from God because of your sin. And it's now uh, been applied to you. That which Christ accomplished has now been applied to you, and you are free. And, um, I just pray that you would experience the grace of God as you walk with Jesus each day, knowing that he is with you and even in you. We thank you. Uh, we thank God that he has not left us orphans, but rather instead he's invited us to walk with him. So um, I would encourage you to find a good Bible teaching church, one that will teach you the word of God from cover to cover, uh, one that will help you to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. I pray that you will look daily for the coming of Christ to take you home. Uh, whether through the rapture, whether through just the natural course of things, whatever the case, get to know Jesus and love him more and more each day as you do. How could you not? So praise the Lord. Thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. If you, um, uh, if you have any questions or comments, you can always leave them in the comments section below, or you can email at info at calvarychapelfranklin.com. And uh, True Beal people, thank you for asking the question. And uh, I do rejoice with you that your parents are in heaven. So all right. Well, God bless you all. The Lord bless you and keep you. Make his face to shine upon you. Be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace forever. Amen. <laughs>